hey, what's up, Lonely? Dude, just as a piece of advice, I found the best way to talk to a player that has low AC and low hit points but continues to get up in melee combat is just to hit that character with a sword over and over again. That's the best conversation you can have with them. <laughs> anyway, man, great stuff as always. Have a good night. Peace out. Deep within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Doom. <laughs> Sage advice as always. Joe Richter there from Hindsight Lesson, the Wheeler World podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I have hit this particular player many times, uh, or their characters, with swords, and it doesn't uh, seem to take. Um, oh, the great thing about Glaive is uh, there are no real, there are no classes, so there are no class restrictions on the sort of armor and weapons that you can use. Uh, so I think really I just need to have a conversation with him about picking up some better armor, uh, which would be much easier if my ding-dongs would uh, remember how to dungeon crawl and search the rooms and find the treasure because then they would actually have two gold pieces to rub together to buy stuff with. <laughs> anyway, I've got a bunch of call-ins uh, today, so we're going to be checking those out. <laughs> mostly uh, Josh Beckelheim from... Uh, uh, JB Productions, uh, who took a bit of a break from podcasting, or listening to podcasts anyway, and left me a bunch of call-ins as he caught up, but I thought they were all pretty good, so uh, I'm going to play those, and I'll, I'll pop in as it feels appropriate to comment on anything he's saying. Take it away, Josh. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. So, dude, I love that shovel, and I love those ideas that people were giving you for the shovel. I think I need to do that is write down a lot more magical mundane items because that's really cool because especially like because I had an idea listen to that stuff about the shovel where you know whatever you bury with that shovel will come back as an undead thrall you know you could bury a goblin and one day it can come back as an undead goblin things like that and then of course I'm a fan of exploding dice. I would just keep it as a D6 damage, but you know, re-roll the D6 if you get a natural 6. Or better yet, make it move up to an 8 if you roll a 6. And then if you roll an 8, then you roll a D10, etc, etc. I think that would be cool too. And of course, I would want to have some sort of a negative effect of using that shovel if you are constantly digging up you know, constantly burying up bodies and raising up undead, maybe the U2 uh, start becoming undead gradually. Or maybe you just, you know, have some kind of bond with a demon or evil deity, something like that to where, you know, it might, you might, it might be fun in games to bring up a bunch of goblin zombies, but then you realize that pieces of your flesh start falling off maybe you might want to stop doing that but yeah I just love to have bad things happen with magical items of course uh, I can always count on Josh to take my basic ideas and make them something awesome. You know, I'm also a fan of exploding dice. I wish I had thought of that, but we've already played around with the, the new D8 damage, so I think I'm locked in on this one. But uh, yeah, future magical items, uh, we'll, we'll get that. I, I think I like about exploding dice, uh, especially in non-D20-based system, is when you when you max out that die roll, it gives you 
that same thrill, I think, that you get when you roll a nat 20 in a D&D game. And I, I think that's important. Um, yeah, so that's really good. And the, the consequences of raising the dead also very good. But we've already got the whistle that raises dead. I don't want to give this whole group stuff to... Uh, <laughs> before I know it, they'll have an entire army of henchmen who are all undead skeletons. Uh, which, uh, maybe that's not a bad thing, now that I'm actually saying it out loud. Hmm. Ah, well, let's move on. Also, I really love listening to your episodes when you're describing your world building, the monsters, you go into detail about their descriptive um, you know, aspects and what they're like, which sometimes you compare them to a certain monster in the see book, things like that. I just love world building and I just love hearing you describe your world and, and go into detail of the monsters and the lore of stuff even if it never comes into play it's that kind of stuff that I love because as the DM you know what's all going on but you know your players may not and I do understand that urge of wanting to show your players and get them into your head but at the same time it's fun to have that knowledge in your head those secrets that they slowly discover if at all but yeah I love those episodes man and of course my work phone Dude, I love your dwarves. They are so great. I um, Again, it's one of those things that I love about the world-building aspect. I love your description, the lore of how their magic work, um, even the statue included. I just love all of that stuff. I love hearing that stuff. I do have a question, though. Since these dwarves are clones with implants can they be mind controlled or charmed and also would like electricity do extra damage to them or maybe cause some kind of mishap with their spells or something like there might be a chance for some kind of spell going off if hit by electricity anyways dude i love those dwarves awesome stuff Oh, gosh, he did it again. I, I, you know, I didn't even think about that, really. I think I was kind of just... Um, I've been struggling uh, to get through the point crawl um, just to finish it. And uh, my, my creativity has been a little low on the project. I'm hoping taking a, a break from it as my party flounders around in the, the castle that I thought would take... The keep that I thought would take one day, to, one session to explore as we're getting ready to start our third session next week. Um, the time pressure is off, so I decided to give myself a little break. Um, yeah, I'll have to revisit them. I like that idea of being vulnerable to lightning damage, but uh, uh, resistant to kind of mind control stuff. I, I like that a lot. Uh, charms and whatnot. Yeah, that's really good. So, yeah, consider that stolen <laughs> and, and canon now for the Sonic Dwarves. Excellent. Let's see what other ideas you can give me. So, E6 actually got me into the OSR. I'm a bit younger, so my first experience with D&D was 3.0. My first book was the Player's Handbook of the 3.0. I think I was like 14. Um, I never really played D&D, but I made characters, and there was monsters in the back of the book. And so I would, you know, fight the monsters or whatever. And then, like, when I was like 18, 19, I did play some sessions here and there with like 3.5 or whatever books we had um so but i didn't really get into the hobby until way later 
which when it was my daughter was like six, I wanted to play D&D with her and let her learn how to play it and we can play together. And so I bought Pathfinder because I read that it's very much like 3.0, 3.5. So I was familiar with that. I then quickly discovered that Pathfinder was just too complicated for us. And so I would go online and search pretty much how to make Pathfinder easier, which is how I discovered E6. I was looking at that. I'm like, okay, cool. But it was just still too complicated for me and my six-year-old. And then there, I guess, looking through forums, posts, or whatever, I found something called OSR, and I stumbled onto Swords and Wizardry, and that's really when I got into the hobby and playing Swords and Wizardry with my daughter, and then venturing out and discovering other indie games or OSR-style games. And So yeah, but now I think about it, I think I would enjoy an E6 game these days with adults. You know, and maybe not just my kids. I think that would be pretty fun to do. And with f uh, 5e, you could easily do that. And especially if you use some of the optional rules in the Dungeon Master Guide about making it a little bit more gritty and things like that. You could definitely have a good E6 game, I believe, using 5e. Make the game grittier with, you know, the health taking forever to regain so your short rest actually turns into a long rest and then your long rest turns into I think a week's rest so I think I would enjoy that a lot more like an e6 style gritty game make it even more lethal and yeah I mean it would be a good sweet spot for 5e I think just to keep it on that you're still fighting some rather difficult foes and even possibly a dragon here and there but you're not just getting godlike where you have a plus 18 to your rolls that's ridiculous in my opinion hey jason here i feel i call you too much great to hear you're going to end up putting out your your notes eventually whether it's zine quest 2 or just up on itch you know either way i you know i'll definitely pick it up so good stuff really enjoyed hearing about the factions and i look forward to your next episode take care yeah, I don't have much to say about the, the E6 uh, other than that I agree with you. I think I could have a lot of fun with it, and I think uh, I'm going to really push to make that how we operate in my next 5th uh, edition game. The very first, uh, well, the very second game of 5th edition I ran, I started two games almost on top of each other when I first started uh, playing 5e. Uh, and the second game that we started was actually just capped. We weren't calling it uh, Epic 5th, but we were. I capped everyone at, at level 5. Um, but we never made it past level two or three uh, before the game got canceled just because of uh, scheduling. And uh, I ended up picking up a second class uh, to teach that semester. So two classes plus my regular full-time work was uh, just too much. Uh, and I felt I, I had to prioritize the game that I began first. Uh, and, and yeah, but now I'm playing with those guys again on Saturday morning. So it, it all worked out in the end. Although, you know, I, I don't know about the, the complexity uh, being a problem for younger players, uh, and I guess I say that because I mean, obviously, six-year-olds, sure, um, but middle schoolers, high schoolers. I loved crunchy, crunchy systems when I was younger because I would spend hours just kind of you know making characters and then planning scenarios and whatever. Um, and the fun for me was in the complexity of the systems. It's only now, as an adult, that I really appreciate simple designs and being more imaginative with it instead of relying on the system to fill in the blanks uh, and just I just don't have the time for them anymore so it might be more ideal for 
for younger folk. I don't know. Thoughts? Jason, man, call in anytime. Uh, your our your calls to the show, our conversations online, uh, have more than once led to uh, topics for camping with owlbears. So uh, I I appreciate them. Yeah, and there's never too many. <laughs> Sometimes it can be interesting deciding how to organize them and get them all onto one show, but uh, it's it's not impossible, and it's a it's a job I enjoy doing. Uh, so yeah, so that was uh, Jason Connolly from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and before that was Josh Beckelheimer from JB Publishing. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about a magic system I'm working on, but I'm out of the house, and I'd like to have the document in front of me when I do it. So I'm going to pause here, and then we'll pick back up. So uh, I'm going to do a, a, a quick pass through uh, my first shot at a improvisational magic for Dungeons and Dragons. My wife and I had a very good, very long conversation yesterday about all the ways you can get rid of spell slots um but of course spell slots are a limiting factor and they're part of the resource management of D&D. so you need some other uh, limiting factor uh, my initial thought on that was that a failed casting roll if you had to roll for all your spells uh would do wisdom damage or intelligence damage to uh your cast or perhaps constitution damage i guess yeah it could be whatever it would <laughs> some some ability would be penalized uh, for that, I had a little into the odd on the brain, and I, I, I like the way into the odd has uh, limited hit points, but then you you start taking damage directly to your abilities and how they both recover at different rates is interesting to me. Uh, but my wife pointed out that there's no corollary to that in the other classes. A fighter doesn't stab themselves in the foot every time they miss with a sword swing. And from a player perspective, which is uh, really what, that's what she brings to these conversations. She's a dedicated player. She has no interest in ever running a game. Um, as someone who's sitting on the, at the table, they would feel that would disincentivize them from wanting to play a magic user, and I, I think that's fair. Um, so I liked the idea of maybe making it a separate skill challenge. Um, I really enjoyed the, the 1d6 skills out of uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, so it takes the idea of the percentage-based skills uh, that a thief has in BX and instead turns it into a you know an X in 6 chance of happening. And as you grow your character, you can put uh, pips into the specific skills that thief has access to. And for every pip, you are uh, increasing your chances from 1 in 6 to 2 in 6 to 3 in 6 and so forth. Um, I like that, but I don't like 1d6 tables. Uh, for the same reason, I don't really like the d20 in general because it's super swingy and a 1 is just as likely as a 6 or a 20, depending on which die we're talking about. Uh, now, Dyson Logos uh, has an old blog post on 1d6 and 2d6 thief and skills uh, that is pretty easy to find with a Google search, and uh, he did the same thing but converted uh, thief skills to a 2d6 role, and I, I like that a lot. Um, but it was still a little divorced from ev- a little divorced from everything else you see in the game. Um, so then I thought uh, it'd be interesting to combine that with um, one of my favorite two d six tables that doesn't come up as often as I would like, and that's the monster reaction roll. Okay, sorry for that interruption there. Um, I just realized I'm, I'm talking about two separate things. So improvisational magic and creating a. Uh, 2d6 table for resolving magic that it gets rid of the spell slots. These are two separate things. So I'm going to talk about improvisational magic next time. I'm going to do the tables today because uh, they don't necessarily have to go together. And I, I find them both interesting in their own right. But anyway, so it's like that, that monster reaction uh, table, right? So it's a 2d6 table. Uh, if you roll snake eyes, a two. 
the monster immediately attacks you. On a three to five, they are hostile, but you could talk your you know way out of it. On a six through eight, you get that uncertain, confused reaction, I believe it is. Um, and on an 11, a nine through 11, the, the monster does not attack you. It just it leaves the area. And on a 12, a result of 12 on double sixes, you get that enthusiastic friendship. So this gives us kind of a scale to work with, right? Um, starting in the middle at six to eight, um, we're looking at the average here, the, you know, the expected result, the, the most likely result, that nice middle of the bell curve. On a three to five, situation is a little worse than expected, a poor result. Uh, and on a snake eyes, we're looking at the worst possible outcome going the other direction. Um, and that three to five is like, is that success at a cost kind of thing? Possibly. Uh, on a nine to 11, we're looking at a better than expected outcome. And on double sixes, it's like, it's a great outcome and maybe we're gonna get some sort of unexpected perk out of this, right? <clears throat> so with that in mind, um, turning this into uh, a casting system is, is pretty straightforward. Um, so let me just, just reiterate, since I'm doing some editing here, um, this might be a little redundant, I apologize, but I've been editing my document also to reflect this, this uh, separation between uh, a non-spell slot based magic system and improvisational stuff. So sorry if this is repetitive, but so the basic idea, replace finite spell slots with a push your luck magic mechanic. Caster or mechanism, sorry. Uh, I forget who it is who gets all worked up on that. Is it Dave from D Percentile? I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe it's Goblin's henchman. He's very big on numbers. It might be him. Anyway, uh, casters can cast spells of their level with no penalty. Spells of a level higher than the caster impose a negative modifier equal to the difference between the caster's level and the spell's level. Basic mechanics, roll 2d6, plus or minus the difference between your intelligence bonus and any sort of situational modifiers, which we'll talk about in a moment. If you're playing in an OSR system where ability modifiers stay pretty static throughout the course of your character, so if you start the game with a plus 2 intelligence and you end the game at level 10 with a plus two intelligence you might consider replacing the intelligence bonus with your caster's level and so coming to the 2d6 table uh, right in the middle at six and eight six through eight sorry uh, the spell just works as expected on a three through five uh, it succeeds but at a cost so to speak uh, it has the range the duration the damage and or I have and or I don't know if it should be and or or <laughs> uh, have the range duration damage and or the number of hit dice worth of creatures affected by the spell um, I feel like it should be and because you're failing so it, we should probably have everything completely there and on snake eyes you've got a catastrophic failure um, the spell does not go off you gain one point of corruption so here's the risk uh, this is something that came up in my conversation with my wife is that uh, a gamble is fine um, a gamble is, is it feels different than a penalty. So that as I was mentioned earlier, doing damage directly to an ability that feels like a penalty because it only happens to the magic user. Um, although I guess this also only happens to the magic user, but there's a bit more. Uh, a bit more. I for you know what I don't know why this works. <laughs> yep, that's me. Uh, first rate game designer. <laughs> Catastrophic failure. Spell does not la does not work. You gain one point of corruption, and you have disadvantage on casting rolls until the end of your next turn. Um, 
going in the opposite direction on a 9 through 11, uh, so a better than expected outcome. You double the range, duration, damage, and the and or again uh the number of hit dice worth of creatures affected i feel like it should be all of the things when you do well nah maybe one of the things when you do well and all of the bad things when you when you succeed at the cost i'll I'll have to play around with that or some feedback would be awesome uh and if you manage to roll double sixes get a 12 excelsior you gain one point of insight and apply the results from nine through eleven you also have advantage on casting rolls until the end of your next turn. So the next time you cast a spell, you're going to be doing this with advantage. How does advantage and disadvantage work on a 2d6 table, you ask? Very easy. You roll 3d6 and discard the lowest roll if you have advantage and the highest roll if you have disadvantage. So what is corruption and insight? Let's talk about that. So corruption. Gain one point of corruption each time you roll an unmodified 2 on the table. When you gain three points of corruption, you develop a mutation and or behavioral tick that makes your life difficult. Magic is inherently dangerous, and for most, learning its secrets comes at a terrible price. Once you have three mutations, you are an inhuman monster and become an NPC controlled by the Dungeon Master. Insight. Gain one point of insight each time you roll an unmodified 12 on the table. When you gain three points of insight, you become mad and receive a permanent plus one modifier to all casting rolls. At three madness, you become an annoying quest-giving NPC, more concerned with reading the secret messages in the stars and with whatever the latest impending doom is. So either way, at the far end of these scales, you stop being a player character. So situational modifiers and spell adjustments. So the caster roll on the table replaces the two-hit roll for spells that normally require one because we don't want to... We don't want to make more rolling necessary to resolve uh, something situational like this. Um, spells that normally require no roll from the caster but allow a save from the target apply a negative modifier equal to the monster's hit dice. Casters may attempt to double the range, duration, number of creatures slash hit dice worth of creatures affected by a spell or the damage of a spell incurring a cumulative negative two modifier to their casting roll per effect they wish to overclock so to speak um so you can attempt to channel more magic than you really should but it's going to get harder and harder and i'm thinking i haven't written this into this little brief yet but i'm thinking for every every time you upcast like that well i guess upcast would just be casting a a spell above your level but every time you try to overpower a spell like that i think maybe increasing the range of the catastrophic failure by one point makes sense so if you just try to double the range uh catastrophic failures no longer happens on a two but it happens on a one two or three on the on a roll um irregardless of the modifiers that you're applying to it if you want to increase the range and the number of creatures affected now your catastrophic failure range has went from two up to four um yeah i like the way that sounds i'm gonna write that in so that's that's my idea for uh kind of making getting rid of spell slots and making magic this kind of push your luck sort of mechanic um i'd love to hear people's thoughts on that and uh next time we'll talk about uh how i my thoughts on improvisational magic in dungeons and dragons getting rid of the spell lists and uh making it a bit more like uh, a lot of games that i enjoy So I guess that's it for now. Uh, I'll talk to you all soon. Lonely Adventurer out.